Welcome to the Dr. Bub's Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubs. Hey everyone, welcome back to Season 3 of the Dr. Bubs Performance Podcast, where as always you'll find evidence-based insights from world-leading experts to take your performance game to the next level. All right, folks, it's Grey Cup week. That's right, the Canadian Football League Championship game, the Grey Cup, will be played this Sunday, November 24th in Calgary, Alberta. So if you want to see some great football on the real frozen tundra in what might be an absolute blizzard, then definitely, definitely tune in. And on that note, it's a real treat to have a former CFL player, Marc Bruyette, who spent seven seasons with the Alouettes, winning a Grey Cup and getting an all-star nod in 2016 on the show. In this episode, Mark shares his insights into what the transition was like from the collegiate game to the pros. If nutrition had a big influence on his regime during his career, and what supplement strategies did he prioritize for performance and recovery? Mark also shares how much the mental side of the game propelled his performance, how he started integrating meditation, and the real importance of some of the relationships that he built whilst in the league. Mark also shares the current state of player safety when it comes to head trauma, his thoughts on that topic, as well as life after football, his career as a lawyer, juggling the demands of career and fatherhood, Really, really great conversation here with Mark. I think you'll really enjoy it. You can find all the links in the podcast summary in the show notes at drbubs.com forward slash podcast forward slash bouillette. If you're interested in more on this topic, then you can circle back to my conversation with Montreal's own McGill's own Dr. Ross Anderson on seasonal changes in body composition in collegiate football players, season two, episode 31 as well as my recent conversation with Dr. Eric Trexler in Season 3, Episode 17 on fat-free mass index and key micronutrients in pro football players. And we also touch on health in players post-retirement. All right, this episode is sponsored by my recently released book, Peak, the new science of athletic performance that is revolutionizing sports. Dr. Greg Wells, PhD, human performance expert and best-selling author of The Focus Effect, says, Dr. Bubbs has synthesized the research and practices that you can use to amplify your health and performance as an athlete. Peak is an essential read for anyone looking to reach their potential. You can check out all the expert blurbs at athleteevolution.org. Again, all the expert blurbs for Peak at athleteevolution.org. And if you've read the book already or want to share some feedback, please use the hashtag GoPeak. That's the hashtag GoPeak on social media. You can tag me in at Dr. Bubs uh, with all those comments and questions. Awesome. Season 3, Episode 36 with Mark Bouillette, former CFL champion and all-star. Enjoy. Thanks so much for taking the time today, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be a guest on uh, on the podcast. Oh, fantastic. Listen, I appreciate it. And uh, look, listen, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking football here today. 
talking about your career as, as an athlete, as a, as a professional athlete, talking leadership, and of course, things like life after football. But, uh, you know, maybe we can start with the start of your career, you know, when you got drafted by the Alouettes and the CFL in, in 2010. What was that transition like from going to play collegiate football in Canada, obviously elite collegiate football, to, to going to the pros? What was that jump like? It was a bit of a crazy journey for me because when I started playing, from the time I started playing football when I was six years old, all the way up until the day I got drafted in 2010, um, I had played quarterback. I, I played, you know, back in Pee Wee and and Mosquito and all that. You know, you play a bit of defense, you play a bit everywhere. But for sure, essentially during my whole football life leading up to that point, I had played nothing but quarterback. And then in 2010. I was drafted in the third round by by the Montreal Alouettes after having spent four years uh, as a quarterback for the University of Montreal Carabin, and uh, it, it kind of caught me off guard. You know, I, I knew that I was likely going to be changing positions uh, at some point uh, in my career, um, but when they drafted me, there wasn't really a plan in place for exactly what they were going to do with me. Uh, you know, they, they knew I was a good athlete. Mm-hmm. And leading up to, to the day of the draft, I'd had some conversations with, with different scouts and general managers across the league. And, and some teams, you know, saw me as a receiver or, or, or a kind of a hybrid fullback type deal or, or even perhaps a, as a free safety or a linebacker. But Montreal was one of the teams that had never really discussed that with me. Okay. And leading up to and then leading up to training camp, which was you know two weeks after the draft, I still had no clue, uh, you know, wow, yeah. what the plan was. And so I, I show up at training camp, and I have an offensive jersey and a defensive jersey in my locker. So that night, at uh, at the first team meeting, you know, once we broke off into to positional meetings, once the room had cleared, I went to then head coach Mark Tressman, and I said, Tress, you know. Everyone's going off to positional meetings, but nobody's told me exactly what position I'm playing. You know? Yeah, for sure. And he says, "Well, son, I can tell you, you're not playing quarterback." So that, <laughs> that was made clear from from the get go. And he said, "Listen, I think the plan is to try you out at a couple of positions over the first week of camp, and just try and kind of see, you know, where you fit in." So I spent the first uh, week of training camp, my rookie season, just bouncing around for, from receiver to running back to, to DB to linebacker. And then finally, at the end of that first week, they pulled me aside and they said, listen, we think you have a future uh, on the defensive side of the football. You know, we're going to play you kind of in a hybrid linebacker, free safety position. And, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. And so the adjustment for me was twofold. You know, not only was I trying to adjust to the to the speed of the professional game but i was trying to learn uh, a new position at, at the same time which required skills that you know i hadn't practiced in, in over 15 years you know uh, the last time Seriously. i tried to make a, you know the last time i tried to make a tackle was maybe after having thrown a, an interception or, or something <laughs> you know uh, hope you didn't well, tell well, about the interviews <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it, you know now all of a sudden we're going into the first preseason game, and I'm expected to you know to run down on kickoff and and to tackle guys that have been doing this you know for for a number of years, guys who get paid to play receiver and who've been playing it since since they were kids. So it was uh, it was quite a learning curve at first, but you know the 
the team was very understanding. They were very supportive. I had some great teammates that, that helped me along the way. And I really, you know, I really don't think I felt like an actual full and complete defensive player uh, until my third or fourth season uh, in the CFL. You know, I, I still had a lot to learn and, and it took a while. Um, but, but like I said, you know, I, I think I had a group of guys around me that supported me the whole way. And I ended up carving out a, a pretty decent uh, nine-year career in the CFL. That's phenomenal. And, you know, the first thing that jumps out at me is that moment in training camp where you're just playing all these different positions and positions you haven't played for a while from, you know, from a mental aspect, you know, where's your head at at that point? Is it, is it sort of a, you know, obviously enjoying these new challenges, but I mean, it's tough not to, you know, you know where was your head at with, uh, with all those different experimentation? Yeah, you know, I, I question myself a lot, you know, especially the, the, the first week where I'm trying to pick up an offensive playbook and a defensive playbook. And then ultimately, um, you know, just trying to stay up to speed, especially when I moved to, to the defensive side of the ball and, and learning the terminology. And then, you know, nat- naturally I was going to make mistakes. I think that the real, you know, the best thing for me was to show them that I could absorb this information. Mm-hmm. And I think it was understood that I was going to make mistakes, but it was a matter of showing them that I, I wasn't going to repeat them. I was going to learn from them and it was going to be part of the growing pains, mm-hmm. but that I wasn't, I was going to keep progressing each and every day. I was going to get better and I was not going to keep repeating the same mistakes. And ultimately I think, you know, I showed enough of that during, during the three weeks of training camp, um, that, that made the decision easy for them to, to keep me on the team and, and not send me back uh, to, to university for another year. I mean, it speaks to the athletic qualities that you had that they, you know you could just play all of these different positions and were being considered for them. I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, that's tremendous, right? I mean, that must have been obviously one of the underlying bricks of, okay, this guy's just such a great athlete. We, we, we're going to find a spot for him, right? Yeah, and it, it took a lot of work. You know, the last thing you want to do after running a two-a-day, you know, in the middle of the summer heat at training camp is stay out on the field longer uh, <laughs> and do some extra work. But, yeah, exactly. you know, I, I had to do it. You know, when you know when was the last time that I had to backpedal or, or shed a block or, or make a tackle out in space? So, I, I you know, I, had a gr- I was surrounded by a great group of guys uh, who are willing to help me out, some veteran guys, and as well as a uh, coaching staff mm-hmm. who, you know, they're, they're pressed for time dur- during training camp. They're running from one meeting uh, to another, from practice to, to weightlifting or, or whatever the case may be, but th- they took the time to, to help when, when I needed it. And, uh, you know, it, it paid off, and I'm thankful for having had the opportunity, um, you know, to work and to share the field and, and the locker room, the classroom w- with men of, of that character. Yeah, incredible stuff, and obviously professional football is incredibly intense and physical. And you know, when you enter the league, this is a time when the science of things like sleep and recovery and even performance nutrition were really just sort of kicking off. And so I'm, you know, I'm wondering for yourself in terms of nutrition. You know, did that have a big place in your regime as you entered the league? Was that something that you developed over time? How did that uh, play into your uh, regime? Well, you know, I had a very weird relationship with food for, from the time I was very young. Um, you know, I, I was overweight growing up, you know, to the point where when I was playing mosquito football, I, I couldn't make the weight limit. So I had to play, you know, with the peewee team with my older brother. Um, and then by the time I was about, 
gosh, I was just about getting into high school. Um, you know, I, I shot up about six, seven inches one year and got wow. lean and then just kind of started, you know, slowly lifting weights and, and, you know, learning to take care of myself and, and learning how, how to train properly. And ever since then, you know, I, I kind of developed and, and to be, you know, completely honest with you over the years, at some point, uh, it, it became, you know, obsessive. Uh, you know, I, I was obsessed with, with everything that, that went into my body, with every calorie, with every, you know, macro and micro uh, that went in and out. And it, and it almost became unhealthy at, at a certain point. So it did take some time over the years, especially, um, you know, through CGEP and, and, and my time in university um, to develop into this, you know, to a point where I had an understanding of nutrition. I cared about it. I paid attention to it, mm-hmm. but I no longer let it consume me. You know, it no longer became uh, this unhealthy uh, obsession that weighed on on every decision, uh, you know, that I made throughout the day. It got to a point where, you know, if I was hungry at a certain time and, you know, I'd grab an apple or I'd grab a banana, uh, regardless of, of if it fit in my macros uh, or my nutrition plan for that day. So I, I went through a lot of trial and error. And I've always been fascinated by it as well. You know, I've worked with nutritionists in the past, Mm -hmm. but I've also done uh, and did a lot of research on my own and just kind of tested it on myself to to, to see how it worked. Because especially I think at at the professional level, you know, everyone's looking for that edge because everyone's talented. You know, everyone's good. The margins you know, are so the, small, right? I that, mean, it's like, you know, where am I going to make that that half or or one percent gain? You know, how am I going to do it? Is it by trying, you know, the, this new diet fad or or this new supplement or or whatever the case may be? So, I went through quite the journey between adolescence and my professional career, but I think eventually. Um, I was able to kind of find that balance and find what worked for me. And was that something that occurred even more so as you got into that professional career in terms of nailing down that right sort of balance or approach? Or it sounds like by the time you even got into the pros, you, you sort of had a good sense of, of you know what you needed and how to balance that out? Yeah, I had a good sense of it coming in, uh, you know, coming into the pros. Um, but it made it a lot easier because now that it's your full time job and you're not trying to balance, you know, a full course load uh, and, and friends and, and a social life. Now you're being paid to do this. You know, you're you're, you're being paid to be at your best. And so uh, it also gave me more time to, to meal prep and do everything um, the right way. And, and so and, and naturally, you know, th- things changed. My body changed. You know, I came into the league in 2010 uh, weighing about, you know, 225 pounds, which had been my, my playing weight for most of, uh, for most of my, my university career, uh, to eventually, you know, back then, as I mentioned, I was playing a bit of hybrid linebacker and free safety. And then as my career went on and I became a starter at free safety around year four, um, I had to adapt, you know, just body composition wise, mm-hmm. you know, because to be back and you know, no longer playing in the box where you're back there at free safety and on any given play, you know, you're, you're running upwards of, of 50 to, to 60 yards as opposed Covering to a lot plug- of distance, right? <laughs> yeah. As opposed to, you know, maybe plugging a plugging a gap against the run or, you know, having a uh, eight to 10 yard drop uh, in, in zone coverage or whatever the case may be. So I ended up, you know, 
by the time I was done playing uh, my last couple of seasons, I was playing, you know, hovering around 210. So interesting. And how did you manage that in terms of over the course of a season? Because I know, obviously, in the off-season athletes trying to build muscle and build some strength and power, and then as you get into preseason, training loads are high, and then trying to maintain through the seasons. You know, sometimes easier said than done when we look at some of the some of the research around you know loss of you know weight or muscle mass. So, you know, for yourself, did you have any strategies in place that you used to lean on to help you maintain all those gains that you made in the off season? Well, I think it all started with crafting the right strength and conditioning plan uh, centered around recovery and nutrition as well. Um, you know, you're naturally you're busy during the season from from the time you arrive in the morning. Uh, you know, you go through a day of, of meetings and, and practice and, and, and lifting and treatment and, and recovery. And, and so uh, planning was the biggest factor. You know, uh, unfortunately, the resources in the CFL are not the same as the NFL, where you have a, you know, a, a cafeteria that's open to you, you know, 24-7, 365, sure. where, where all your meals are, are prepped for you and, and, and all your shakes and, and everything's ready and, and at your disposal. Uh, you know, at, at your convenience. Uh, unfortunately, in the CFL, uh, the reality of it is, you know, you need to supply a lot of that s- stuff yourself, and that just boils down to to being a pro and being prepared, and make making sure that you know when when you show up to the locker room every day, you've brought you know an, enough food with you to make sure that that y- you know you're not going into any type of of calorie deficit throughout the day. Um, just because of, uh, you know, of practice and, and, and lifting and, and just not having anything available. You know, it, it, we, uh, we at the, with the Alouettes here in Montreal, um, for the, for those who don't know, uh, our practice facility and locker rooms were in the basement of, of the Olympic stadium, you know, and if you, if you've ever been there for sure, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Not only are there very many options, you know, inside the stadium, but there isn't much outside, outside either. the stadium either. Yeah, for sure. Right. So uh, unless you know you're turning to to some delivery or something, in which case, usually the the quality of the food you're getting uh, is not great. Um, you know, you're going to be in trouble. So so I learned that very early on, and I adjusted accordingly. That's fascinating, and you know, I think something that we see in talking to athletes across multiple sports. Is this idea of rituals, pregame rituals, meal rituals? You know, for yourself, was there anything in terms of pregame meals or, or caffeine or, or whatnot that you that you had going into into games when you were playing in CFL? Yeah, well, pregame, you know, before I went, uh, I went plant based about four years ago, and prior to that, you know, I, I made some poor decisions. I think I got lost in a lot of the camaraderie with your teammates, you know, a lot of guys, they, they get into this groove of, you know, going to the keg or going to a steakhouse the night before and just hammering, you know, the, this big, you know, baseball sirloin or, or a T-bone that's doused in, in, in butter. And, and so I did that for a little while and, and I got caught up in, in that, uh, a couple of times. Um, but, but to me, you know, as eventually, and, and what I tried best to do is not change up my routine too much. Just treat it the same as as if I was training or, mm-hmm. or getting ready for practice. You know, because uh, a lot of times, you know, just just with the nerves of, of a football game, uh, it can lead to certain gastric issues. 
Uh, you, sure, know, yeah. it, it, you know, you start getting those butterflies in your stomach. And the last thing you want to do is add some, some poor quality food or, or something that you're not digesting properly. So I tried as much as possible to, to stick to the foods uh, and the meals that I was used to eating and, and essentially, re- the week, you know, right? right. Because, you know, if I, if I felt good, you know, training, uh, in the weight room or, or practicing after having eaten certain foods, I, I'm trying to replicate that feeling, uh, on the field for, for a game. Great recommendation, right? Keep things consistent, keep things stable. Don't look for that magic meal. It's going to necessarily help out on game day. Uh, it could cause problems and, um, yeah, great recommendation. And in terms of things like caffeine or coffee or things like that, obviously in, in contact sports, you know, whether it's ice hockey, rugby, football, can be pretty common. Was that a strategy that you use yourself or, or not so much? Yeah. And, and that boils down to, to, to just trying to, um, mimic that script throughout, you know, working out and, and practice. You know, if, if I was taking half a scoop or, or a scoop of, of pre-workout, you know, before an off-season weightlifting session, uh, I try and mimic that uh, before a game or an event. And, and you know, as, as we mentioned with, you know, speaking about the, the meals and, and the food and, and what you're putting in, in your body, I mean, you've got so many new uh, and different stressors on game day that, that if you can keep things as, as normal <laughs> yeah, as possible exactly. and you can send your body signals and try and tell them, hey, this is okay. You just know, another this, day, this right? Is, exactly. You, you know, you can try and, and reduce some of that stress and anxiety as much as possible. So, so I'd say, you know, caffeine supplementation wise, it, it was very similar, um, you know, to, to what I would do leading into, to a gym workout or, or leading into, uh, to a practice. Yeah. I mean, that's really insightful, obviously, when you're coming out of the tunnel and you've got 30, 40,000 people that are cheering for you and, and you know, just, you're going to feel a little bit different anyway. So keeping things as consistent and steady as you can, uh, sounds like great advice because that's, uh, you know, a great, a great way to just, uh, tease out all those variables so really interesting there and of course you know you spent seven seasons with the Alouettes and named an, an all-star and in the 2016 season so obviously massive accomplishment you know on the mental side of the game we just talked about margins and how at the elite level the margins are really small you know and to become an all-star and play at an all-star level you know how did the mental side of your game impact the ability to perform at that kind of level absolutely I think and the biggest thing is having a short memory. Um, you know, I, I've seen guys in the past, and I mean, it's easier said than done when you say, hey, forget about that play, move on to the next one. But, you know, we've seen examples, and I've seen them personally, of where, you know, a guy will make a mistake, you know, in the first quarter, and it'll just drag him down and his performance down for the entire football game. You know, for sure. And, and once you lose that that mental edge and that confidence, uh, it affects your game, and, and it's hard to bounce back from. And so, I think at one point, especially in football, where there are so many plays, and, and, and it's so fast in between plays, you can mess up on one, but the game's going on without you. And and you can sit there and sulk and and think about your mistake, or you can kind of callous your mind. And, and build this this armor where, hey, you know what? That play happened. There's nothing I can do in this world to change it. And and, and whether I sit here and sulk about it uh, or, or cry and, and, and whine about it, feel bad about myself, 
in about 20 seconds, that ball's going to snap back again. again right? <laughs> and, and if I'm Nowhere not to ready to play, you know, I'm, it's going to be dinner on Delta and I'm going to be out of a job and, and on my way back home. And so at first it's hard, you know, for any young player, it's hard, but to have, and, and I benefited from this going into such a strong locker room, uh, in, in 2010, surrounded by, by these veterans, these future hall of famers, guys that have, that had had success guys, both personally and as a team, just this great organization where, especially as a rookie, you know, I was making mistakes in games, but I was surrounded by guys that imparted this wisdom on me. And they were like, you know, shoot, we don't care. You know, we might, we might laugh at you during film next week, but it'll, it'll all be in good fun. What we, what we need right now is you to be focused and ready to go when this ball snaps, you know, in the next couple of seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's actually such a great metaphor for life, isn't it? I mean, the lessons learned in football, this idea of you, you know, you're putting everything out there and you're going to make mistakes and you're going to get run over, but you got to turn the page. you got to come back again. And, and you, like you said, you don't have time to, if you do let it um, permeate your mind or, or if you can't shake it off, it really, ha- you know, the, the implications are directly felt in the next, uh, as you said, the next play, the next 30 seconds, right? Oh, absolutely. You just, like I said, you have to kind of, you have to callous your mind. And as soon as that play is out of your mind, you cannot let it back in. Um, and it's easier said than done, but eventually you kind of, you build up that, that tolerance and that resistance. Uh, and then it just becomes natural. You know, as soon as that ball snaps, you're, you're on autopilot and, and you're doing, you're reacting and, and doing what you've been coached and, and prepared to do and what you've practiced and rehearsed for. Awesome. Listen, I mean, you played seven seasons with the Alouettes. You retired, but then decided to come back and play another season. And you had a great quote, which I'll, I'll read here, because I think this, this notion of relationships and camaraderie, especially in sport, is so, is so key. And you say, you know, the easy guess that it was football, but it was more than that, right, in terms of how, why you retired. And, of course, you said, I miss the camaraderie. I miss the daily interactions with all the guys in the room and the relationships that you build. Can you talk a little bit more about those relationships and how they've influenced how they influenced your career while you're playing? And also, you know, I'm sure still to this day, right? Yeah, you know, it, it's football and sports in general present a, a very interesting dynamic as far as relationship relationships are concerned, and especially at the professional level. You know, you you spend six months with a bunch of guys who have come from all different areas of the globe, all different walks of life, who all have different backstories. And then all of a sudden for the next six months, you know, you're going to see them more than you see your own wife. You're going to spend more time with them than, than you spend with, with your kids and your family and, and your friends outside of football. And essentially you're going to put it on the line with them every single week. And so, you know, at, at first it's natural. I mean, you know, there's upwards of 70 guys, uh, on a football roster and you're going to be closer with some guys, uh, than others. But, you know, going into that locker room every day and seeing those guys and then going through the emotions of not only a, a football game, but the emotions of a whole football season, uh, with those guys, I mean, I just, I don't know where else you can find that type of, of dynamic or, or relationship. And, and it really hit me, 
it was in it was one of the off seasons earlier in my career. I think it was 2013, somewhere around there. And uh, a couple of guys, you know, I, I I was born and raised in Montreal, so so it was home for me during the off season as well. But we had a couple of uh, of our American teammates um, that decided to to stay in town during the off season and partake in our uh, together at school program, which the Alouettes. Um, did during the off season. It was a program uh, in which guys would would go to different high schools around the province um, just to talk about their experience, uh, where they came from, um, you know, building uh, building resiliency and different traits, and you know, staying in school and, and making the right decisions. And anyway, just a, a great program uh, altogether. But during the training uh, leading up to to the presentations and in front of actual students, we did an exercise where, um, we kind of sat in a circle, just the, the Alouettes players and kind of told our story, you know, where we came from, uh, you know, the challenges we went through growing up and how we got to where we were. And it hit me like, uh, you know, a, a Mack truck to the face that a guy that I'd been lining up next to for the past, three or four years, you know, that I'd shared so many moments and, and great memories with, uh, on the field, I knew nothing about, you know, I heard his story about growing up and, and losing his brother to gun violence, uh, and, 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 you know, being shipped from, from one grandparent's house to, to the next aunt's house and, and, and you know, sleeping six people, six kids on, on the same mattress. And I had absolutely no idea and then wow. it, it, it just kind of my relationship with that person, you know, already that I thought it was it was strong given the experiences that we had shared together. But now knowing his background story and, and knowing where he came from and all the adversity he'd been through uh, during his life, I mean, it, it just took that relationship to a whole nother level. It, it wasn't just, you know, Hey, we're, we're teammates and, and we, we have these shared experiences together and we've been through these highs and these lows. It's like, wow, man, like yeah, I, I care about you. You know, the next time we line up on the field, it, it's more than just playing for you because you're my teammate. It's playing for you because you're my friend. And, and I understand the, the challenges and, and the things that you've overcome to get to this point. And, and I know that we're all working towards the same thing. So I'm, I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to do everything in my power, uh, to be prepared and to be able to execute, uh, in order for us both to have success and, and to both feel the, these great emotions, uh, that come with success, uh, whether it be on the, on the court or on the football field uh, or in life period. Yeah, it is incredible, isn't it? When you, you know, get to know someone as a human and, and those emotions that come with it and, and how that can tie into building that sort of culture and camaraderie. And, and as you mentioned, you know, wanting to play for your teammates, which obviously sounds somewhat intuitive in professional sport, but obviously it's not always the case, is it? I mean, some teams obviously have better um, culture and connectivity than others. And, and, and those are some of the things of really getting to know each other that can make or break uh, teams and whatnot. And, it's actually, I mean, ironically, in terms of even just men's health, we see, you know, as men get older, a study just came out recently, men aren't so good at keeping and building relationships as they get into their, you know, late 30s, 40s, 50s compared to compared to women. And so this idea of maintaining a social network, even as you get older, which I know 
you know, you're still a young guy and just your retirement here, but this is a huge aspect of it. And I always think when I think back of the sporting days, sports just such a great way to be able to connect with other people. And you see that, you know, obviously even all the, all the way to the professional level. And, you know, of course, another emerging area too today in sport, if we shift gears here a little bit, is head trauma. You know, concussions, mild traumatic brain injury, obviously contact sports, ice hockey, rugby, football. You know, for yourself, someone who is a, you know, representing the players, how do you see player safety today in the CFL or or even when you look around in professional football, you know, even the NFL for that matter, and when it comes to protecting the brain? Well, I think we have been making some strides in order to make the game safer, uh, especially in the CFL. Uh, you know, I, I was... Uh, I was a player rep uh, for some, uh, several years during my career, um, so I was privy to to the discussions that were had internally, uh, as far as the CFL Players Association um, was uh, was involved, as well as the discussions that were had uh, with the league. And you know, there's still a lot of progress to be made. Um, but I do think that just in, you know, between the time I started in 2010 and now in 2019, uh, we've made significant strides to try and make the game safer. Uh, you know, just recently they removed, uh, all padded practices, uh, in season as well as limiting the number of padded practices, um, during training camp. Uh, there's been also the addition of an independent spotter uh, up in the booth who has the ability to buzz down to to an official and have a player removed from the game and put into uh, to concussion protocol. Uh, we've also implemented into the uh, most recent collective bargaining agreement the ability for uh, a player to be able to consult uh, an independent neurologist after a uh, after a head injury, um, because and and I mean this is no shot on, on any medical staff on any team for sure uh, whatsoever. But at the end of the day, these medical staffs are employees of the club um, whose jobs are to get the players back on the field. Um, you know, and especially when you're dealing with with head injuries and concussions and and head trauma, you know, a, a lot of the signs are not visible. You know, if if you tear your ACL, I can take an MRI and and I can feel around and yeah. and I can tell you 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 have a torn ACL. But you know, only only the player can say, hey, you know, I woke up about twelve times last night, or you know, I, I was watching TV with my wife and. And, you know, a, a headache crept up on me or uh, I put the car keys somewhere and, and five minutes later I, I couldn't remember, you know, stuff that perhaps he may be hesitant to share with uh, a, a team doctor, you know, because the team doctor has to report to the general manager and, and the head coach. And the last thing you want to do is worry about your job security uh, when you're trying to to recover from, from one of these injuries. Absolutely. Uh, so, so to have that as a resource, uh, for our guys, uh, you know, ha, has been a tremendous asset. Um, but uh, as I mentioned previously, th there still is a lot of work to be done. And, and I'll give you the example of the, of the Canadian football league, uh, uh, on the rules and safety committee. Um, there are nine people on the committee but only two spots reserved uh, for CFLPA 
players or, or representatives. And so we only have two voices out of the nine uh, in order to determine rules and regulations that are going to directly impact our safety as players. And then on top of that, you know, kind of above this, this committee is the, the nine clubs in the CFL that have the ability uh, to veto any recommendation that's made from the council. So, it, you know, we're putting uh, our players' safety in the hands of the people that essentially, I mean, they, they do have skin in the game in that they do pay our, you know, they sign our paychecks. And, yep. and the last thing they want uh, are their assets, you know, sidelined and, and not being able to play. Yep. But essentially, our health and safety as players are, are in the hands of people that don't have to strap up a helmet every week, you know, and run into another guy full speed and, and put their body on the line. So I think there needs to be, uh, some reform as far as that's concerned. Um, but you know, we're, we're working in the right direction. I think the lines of communication, uh, are open and, and have improved between the, the, the players and, and the teens. And hopefully, you know, the, the CFL can be trailblazers, uh, in this aspect where we reach a point where the players have an equal voice and an equal say uh, in determining the rules of play that are going to to govern their safety. And that could be the model uh, for other leagues, uh, you know, down the line. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a fascinating area to to keep our eye on and even with some of the new research coming out of potential biomarkers, but you know, to be able to signal some of these things, like you mentioned, being a bit more diagnostic, like an ACL uh, versus a lot of the subjective things we need to rely on. And, and, you know, even some potential at the moment, we see some, some evidence around things like, and we see obviously very common for football players supplementing with creatine, but some potential beneficial effects there post concussion with things like creatine. So trying to implement more strategies for, preventative strategies because we know obviously the game's physical and so we want to be able to protect as you mentioned the players as best we can right i mean this is uh obviously not an easy answer but it's uh it's definitely one where it sounds like the cfl is doing a lot to to move the needle yeah and and even as an association as well um you know just in Injuries in general, um, you know, we're currently making a push uh, as a players association across the different provinces because, you know, uh, different than down in, in the U.S., up in Canada, professional athletes um, are excluded from all workers' comp coverage. And so, wow. you know, if, if you get injured uh, long term in, in a game or a practice or or, you know, while you're, you're fulfilling your duties as a professional athlete, you know, depending on, and I'll use the CFL as an example, you know, there, there's three years of post, uh, injury coverage that, that will be assumed by, by the club. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if a guy, an American guy comes up and this is just recently that we were able to, to obtain, uh, three years in the actually this year is two and then next year it'll move to three but prior to that it was only one year and I'll give you an example of a, of a guy named named Jonathan Hefning a uh, guy that I played with and during a game uh, we were playing in Ottawa he broke his neck um, oh, that gosh. ended up you know he lost pretty much uh, complete use of of one of his arms and, and required uh, multiple surgeries and 
and physical therapy, and, and he was an American guy. So, you know, at first they, they were the plan was to get him three surgeries within that that first year. Uh, unfortunately, due due to a bunch of different circumstances, he was only able to get one of the surgeries within that first year. But as soon as that expired, uh, you know, the club was no longer on the hook. So he was yep. sent packing back to the U.S. Um, you know, facing these these huge medical bills and trying to get these surgeries, uh, and you know he was unable to work, seeing as though he had lost use of of one of his arms. Yep. You know, it wasn't as easy as just saying, "Well, go go get another job," and then you know you can finance your surgeries. And then you know, un, unbeknownst to to a lot of his former teammates, and including myself, um, you know, he got caught up in in some bad stuff and, and was recently, uh, sentenced to, to nine years in prison, you know, and, and, and and he had to turn to that because it was really his only option. You know, he was, he was sent packing, uh, you know, with with sky high medical bills and, and no, you know, no solution, uh, on the horizon. So now we're working as an association to try and lobby the different provinces here in Canada, um, to include professional athletes in, uh, in their different workers comp laws. Um, you know, they do it in the U S for, for example, uh, if, uh, you know, if, if the blue Jays are, are heading to, to New York to, to play a series with the Yankees, well, they are required to, to obtain and, and pay the premiums, uh, for that coverage dur- during their time, that they're working, uh, in the U S but, but unfortunately in, in Canada, um, that's, that's just not the way it works. We're kind of behind, uh, as far as, uh, as far as coverage for our athletes is concerned. That's pretty shocking. Yeah. It's definitely something that doesn't, uh, pop up on most people's radars and, you know, it basically dovetails into my questions here about uh, my next questions about life after football for, you know, after you, you retired and actually whilst you were playing, I believe you became a lawyer, um, you know, fit, passing the bar exams, and obviously this is a, you know, transition in your career. And and you know, even maybe before I get to that, you know, you talk a lot about even in your career, you know, obviously setting goals, sticking to those goals. And for someone who played football professionally and then became a lawyer, you know, there's a lot of folks listening in, practitioners, athletes. You know, what kind of advice do you give people who want to achieve these sort of lofty goals of, of being? elite performers, whether it's in the workplace or on the playing field? Well, you know, the first step I think is writing it down, you know, that, that, that's what takes it, uh, you know, that, that's what turns it into, to something tangible. And, and, you know, I, I've always kept uh, a list of, of different goals and as well as a plan, uh, with the different steps that I felt, um, would allow me to, to reach that goal and, and, and it'll change, you know, it, it's never black and white and, and a bunch of different things will, will come up a, along the way as you're trying to work, you know, to, towards a, a certain goal. But I think really the, the key, what, once the plan is down and the goal is set is sticking to it. And that's the hard part because anybody can say, you know, shoot, by the end of 2020, I want to be a millionaire and I'm going to write it down. By the end of 2020, I will be a millionaire. <laughs> and the, these are the things that I need to do it. 
Well, you know, any young athlete that's out there and that says, you know, I want to play in the NHL one day, I want to play in the CFL one day. Well, when that alarm clock goes off, you know, at 4.30 uh, in the middle of January when it's 20 below and, and it's dark outside and it's cold and, and you know, are, are you going to hit the snooze button or are you going to pull yourself out of bed and go get that workout in and keep moving and, and progressing uh, towards that goal that you set for yourself? You know, are you going to have that discipline? Are you going to be able to, to build that work ethic? And, and, you know, if you're able to do that, and I personally believe that I built my work ethic through sports, through training, and that translated into all different spheres of my life, whether it be academic or, or, or family or, or friendships. Once you have that work ethic, regardless of how you've developed it, you're then able to apply it to different goals uh, and different plans to, to achieve those goals. And, and that's one of the things that, that I credit and that I thank um, sports for. It's something that, that it imparted on me and it allowed me to develop. And, and to this day, it allows me to apply it um, in, in different uh, in different spheres of my life, and, and in order to to overcome uh, different challenges. Yeah, it is incredible how that you know, the, as you mentioned, the discipline you build just starts to then transfer into this automaticity where you're just it's it's baked into the cake. You're getting up, you're training. Like you said, you're not always motivated on a on a four thirty a.m. and a minus twenty, but because it's it's already automated. You just, it's what you do. And so it's, it's incredible how that's such a huge part of the success story. And as you mentioned, it transfers to different domains. Um, in terms of, you know, life as a, as a lawyer, the, the skills that you learned in, in football and sport, I mean, obviously that being one of them, are there other qualities that you think are helpful for you in terms of transferring, you know, the performance on the playing field to the performance of the border? Yeah, I, I think mental toughness is a huge thing too, and it goes back to to what we spoke about earlier, and, and having a short memory and being able to to move on to the next play. You know, there there are days that that I come into the office and, and I open some emails uh, that you know that I'm not necessarily thrilled to read about, <laughs> or you know, I might be in court one morning and, and things won't go my way, and, and I have two options. You know, I can let it drag the rest of my day down. Uh, I can let it affect, you know, my relationship with my wife and my kids, and I can come home at the end of a long day and, and sulk and just be caught up uh, on something bad that, that happened earlier uh, in my day. Or, you know, I, I can take it for what it is, you know, assess it, accept it, learn from it, and move on. And, and I think you have to do that because if not, you know, you talk about, you know, work ethic uh, and discipline boiling over into dis different aspects of your life. Well, it can just as easily happen uh, with something negative uh, yeah, happening in your life, and, and sure. where now you're you're allowing it to boil over into into other things you're doing or, or your relationships with others, and and it's just not you know not the way that I want to live my life, and and it's not fair to, to the people around me, the people who support me and and put up with my my crazy schedule. You know if. If my wife and I, you know, we, we get an, an hour together at night to, to kind of just hang out and decompress, um, the last thing that she deserves is, is to have me be in, in a bad mood because of something that happened, you know, eight hours ago during my day. 
That's a great segue as well here. I'm saving the, the best questions for last year. Obviously, you're a dad as well, you know, a couple of kids at home juggling the demands of, of all the things that you do in a day. And, you know, I think what you mentioned lastly there is, is, is pretty profound and actually, you know, harder to do than it is to say, isn't it? So like really, and such a great piece of advice to try to leave all that at the doorstep and, and, and come into things fresh. Now, you know, how do you, how else do you juggle all those demands of being busy and doing these things and, and having kids at home and whatever else? Are there other tips you can give listeners who are, are, who are in the same position? Yeah. Well, you know, a couple of, uh, a couple of years ago, um, I got into meditation and I, now I start every day with just 10 minutes of, of silence and stillness. And I think that really allows me to, to declutter my mind, um, you know, prioritize the things I need to do throughout the day so that, you know, at the end of that 10 minutes, I have a clear idea of, of what I need to get done today, uh, in, in which order I'm going to do it. And I think that allows me, uh, to get a lot more of it accomplished, uh, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm like everyone else, you know, there, there are nights sometimes where I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll be thinking about, you know, a a file that I'm working on or, or whatever. And and then by the time, you know, I wake up in the morning and I want to get my day started, uh, everything is just completely cluttered and and there's anxiety and and stress. So I think meditation is a great opportunity just to kind of recalibrate refocus, find your center point, find that, that calmness, uh, inside Mm -hmm. of you, see things a lot more clearly and then be a lot more, um, productive, uh, during your day. Awesome. Mark, great advice there. And definitely, you know, a huge aspect of just that quietness of just being able to hear your own thoughts, even, you know, when life gets that busy, it's such a great, uh, great tip. And, you know, to round things out here, you're an analyst now for the Alouettes this past season. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you see the dig- game a bit differently now as an analyst than you were as a player. And I'm going to save the toughest question for last. I know the Alouettes got eliminated here, but we've got the Grey Cup coming up. Any, <laughs> any predictions on uh, on who's going to win? Gosh, uh, I, you know, I think the, the East and West final, the West final will probably be a more interesting matchup between uh, Saskatchewan and Winnipeg, but Given that I spent uh, two years out in Regina, and, and you know the fact that they have the home field advantage out there at Mosaic, I think we'll definitely see the Riders in the Grey Cup this year. Over in the East, uh, you know Edmonton showed well against the Alouettes this past weekend, but you know Hamilton is a great football team, fifteen and three on the regular season, uh, undefeated at home. Uh, I think it's going to be tough for Edmonton to travel across the country uh, and get another win against an Eastern team. So I expect a, a Hamilton Saskatchewan Grey Cup, and you know I have uh, I have a built-in hatred for for the Tie Cats given my history <laughs> as, as an Alouette. Gonna so say, I'm going to yeah. have to uh, I'm going to have to go with the Riders as uh, as 2019 uh, Grey Cup champions. Awesome. Well, we'll hold you to that. And I know rival, rivalries run deep, so so we'll uh, let you off the hook there. And listen, Mark, really appreciate you carving out some time today. La prochaine fois, on va faire l'entrevue en français. Donc, allez. And, uh, you know, where can people stay connected with you and where can people keep up with all of your tremendous work? 
Yeah, you know, on all platforms at M O Bruyette. Uh, you know, I'm most active on on Twitter and and Instagram and and a little bit on Facebook. And I just encourage anybody, you know, that that wants to reach out, that has questions or or, or comments. Uh, you know, I, I am pretty busy lately, so I'm not as active. Uh, but I do try and make an effort to to get back to people. Uh, and, and just answer any questions um, that they may have and, and have a discussion. You know, I'm always looking to learn. I'm, I'm always uh, not only about, you know, sports and training or, or law or, or football or, or anything. You know, if it's something that piques my interest, I'm always looking to, to learn more about it. So I invite anyone out there who, who you know, who just wants to, uh, to shoot the uh, about anything, just to, don't hesitate to reach out to me and and, and, and I'll get back to you. Awesome, Mark. Listen, appreciate the time. Fantastic insights. And uh, we're going to hold you to those predictions as well. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Bell's Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content, please consider subscribing on iTunes, YouTube, or your favorite podcasting platform. Show your support. And it's also a tremendous help to the show and helps us to continue to attract high-quality guests. If you haven't heard, my new book, Peak, The New Science of Athletic Performance that is revolutionizing sports, is out. And I'm pleased to announce we actually hit the Amazon bestseller list in Canada and in the U.S. in the sports medicine, physical medicine and rehab, and holistic medicine categories. So you can find out more info on that and the expert insights athleteevolution.org that's athleteevolution.org and of course you can pick up a copy on Amazon, Barnes & Noble Chapters Indigo, Waterstones or your local book sellers awesome, if you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode you can reach out on Facebook Instagram or Twitter at Dr. Bubs. and thanks again folks for listening and we'll see you all next week with more expert insights The Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcasts.